When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. If you're working solo or have dreams of starting up, you'll find support, inspiration and advice at Australia's largest and liveliest small business community. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Here's your host, Robert Gerrish. Hello and good morning and welcome to another Flying Solo Podcast. Now look, before we get started... I must tell you that support for this podcast comes from Sendle, the door-to-door delivery parcel service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendle.com forward slash flying solo to get free Sendle premium worth $120 a year and you'll get an extra dollar off every parcel you send. Now, a quick reminder also, if you're listening via iTunes, we'd love you to post a brief review of the show. And of course, we welcome any comments and discussion on Facebook or via the page this show has on Flying Solo. Now, look, I'm standing here and, and just mildly shaking with excitement that uh, my guest today uh, is rock and roll photographer Tony Mott. Now, in a career that spanned over 30 years, Tony has worked with the biggest names in music, including the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Michael Jackson, Johnny Cash, Blondie, Elton John, Nirvana, and closer to home, In Excess, Cold Chisel, Midnight Oil, and many, many more. His work has appeared numerous times on the cover of Rolling Stone, Juice, Drum Media, Ram and Duke, and very recently the State Library here in Sydney staged a massive show of his work entitled What a Life. I saw it and have been hassling Tony onto the show ever since. Tony's book The Alphabet A to Z of Rock and Roll Photography is an absolute cracker for music fans and a wonderful testimony to his enormous skill weighing in at a mere three kilograms in weight it's a thumpingly large book tony thank you so much for joining us it's great to have you here pleasure pleasure now look i'm as i mentioned to you in our little sort of preamble um i'm actually not going to dive into your fascinating uh, career as a rock and roll photographer that is i'm not going to go into all those wonderful stories a number of which i read about at your terrific exhibition and i heard about on the um or heard on the podcast that you ran recently on the ABC, and I'll try and find a link to that so people can hear that. Instead, what I want to do is dive into aspects of your career and just see whether, A, you know, for people that might be considering following in your footsteps and like the sound of being a a rock and roll photographer traveling the world, uh, how feasible that is in this day and age, but also just to look at some of the other lessons that I'm sure you've uh, picked up in your 30-odd years, that we might be able to even adapt across to other businesses. So is that okay with you? Yeah, no, that's completely fine. <laughs> so the first thing I'm going to start with is, is your name, right? So Tony Mott. Now, that's not your real name, is it? No, it's not. No. Uh, um, <laughs> actually, uh, a very long story short, I've had several names in my life, uh, some of them real and some not so real. I didn't realise uh, you were on the run, but anyway. Uh, no, absolutely. Well, that's one way of interpreting it. Um, uh, so uh, ultimately... Uh, it's my rock and roll photography name. And, right, okay. Uh, 
I took the Mott from, uh, my favourite band was Mott the Hoople, yep. still is. And, um, I, yeah, I took it from that. So I, basically the first photo I ever sold um, was on the street, street newspaper in Sydney, and the layout girl was there, and they were laying the photo out of Chrissy Amplett, the vinyls. Yep. She said, oh, I'll give you a photo credit. And my name is uh, Tony Moulds. Right. She sort of laughed. Sort of went. <laughs> she said, you can't do that. She goes, yeah, not the greatest photography name. And I, I, it never really dawned on me. But, you know, I, I sort of agreed. And literally on the spot, she said, well, you know, it's your first ever photo credit. You can pick what you like. So she literally <laughs> put me on my spot. I had no idea what to put. I think I came up with Tony Lindstrom to right. start with. Um, my first wife was Swedish, still is to the best of my knowledge. Um, uh, and I thought that was quite a nice name. And she didn't really, didn't seem impressed by that. And she goes, what's your favourite band? And I said, oh, that's easy. It's Mott the Hoople. She right. goes, there you go. Oh, there you so it could have been Tony Hoople and it became Tony Mott. And, uh, and so let me just ask you there then. So that clearly, you know, albeit a decision that was kind of made on the spot, um, has proven to be a very good decision, I guess, that you've got a, a recognisable, easy-to-remember name would you agree i mean is that an yeah, important yeah, no, thing absolutely. i've got no regrets from it um no. tony hoople but i think that could have worked but tony mott and i sort of had a nickname anyway uh, i worked at sea i worked on a cruise ship for uh two or three years cruising right. the world and uh, i was a chef french chef by trade and um i always had music on in the kitchen and i consequently played a lot of mott the hoople so my right. nickname was uh a lot of people called me motty or mott anyway Right. So it wasn't really that far from... It wasn't too big a leap. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, from a natural sort of nickname anyway. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it, and it's also, in those days, it proved very useful uh, in so much as you knew when someone was ringing about photography and someone was ringing about an outstanding bill. Yeah, okay. Because uh, they used the two different names. <laughs> the bad news was, post 9-11, uh, getting on a plane under a false name is not so, not so easy. And so I'd constantly be ringing. Like the big day out particularly, I used to have to emphasize, book all my flights under Anthony Moulds. Okay. That's the name on my passport. All so right. It, so it, it, does was, come, it does come with a few problems, some considerations. Yeah, okay. Strangely, uh, a little conundrum of that is all my uh, credit cards have my real name, Anthony Moulds. Right. Uh, but I always check in under Tony Mott. And to this day, not a single receptionist has ever gone, um, how, come the, how come the credit card's different to your... Um, to your, right. the name you booked in, but no one's ever bothered, which I always find in a day of where security and people being paranoid about things, it's very strange that no one's ever yeah. picked up on that. Well, it's funny because I remember a, a, a good few years ago now, I wrote, I remember writing a blog post about uh, a real estate agent. You know, on real estate agent boards, they have this sort of name and a mobile number of your real estate agent. And there were three names on there, and one of them was one of those completely unpronounceable names with lots of Zs and Ss and Ks and things in it. And... I just posted a little blog post saying, I think if that were me, and I knew that a lot of the source of my calls came from people driving past or walking past a sign, I think I'd have a, you know, I'd go for Tony Mott. But anyway, I copped all sorts of flack for that. But look, it's clearly worked for you, so that's good. Now, in there, you'd, you'd, you'd said that, okay, here was somebody that came up to you and said, Tony, we'd like to buy that picture. So... I sense, well, I, I more than sense, I, I know, because I, I heard it through your last interview and I saw it in your show, that your start into this profession of being a rock and roll photographer was somewhat accidental, I believe. It doesn't sound like you necessarily uh, had a great... It was 99% accidental. Um, it was always, um, as I said before, I was a French chef 
And uh, I had an arch student friend back in England, and uh, I'd been to India a couple of times, and I'd seen black and white portraits, and I just absolutely fell in love with black and white portraits. And he taught me basic black and white processing to do the 8x10s of basically characters in India. Mm. And that formed my interest in photography. So I, I always loved photography anyway. Um, I never considered myself a photographer, just someone who loved photography. And then when I settled in Sydney in the early 80s, my other passion was music. I've always loved rock and roll music. Mm. Uh, when I was a student back in England, I used to go and see bands four or five nights a week. And Sydney's live music scene in the early 80s uh, was better than anywhere in the world. And I say that uh, with certain knowledge because I'd spent time in LA, New York, and London. Right. Sydney beat it, not even in the same league. And so I used to go and see bands uh, constantly. And then one night, and I can't really put my finger on it, but at some point uh, during the haze of alcohol and generally watching bands, I just looked at it and thought on stage going, God, that's got to be difficult to photograph because the lights are going on and off and the subject's moving around. And the band in front of me when I had this thought was the Divinals, who were unsigned and not that well known. They had a residency at the Piccadilly Hotel in King's Cross. Yeah. And so the following Monday when they played, they played every Monday for about six months, I took my camera along and I proved myself correct. It isn't easy. My first, um, at least my first half dozen attempts got very, very little return. But again, you took, you were taking those purely because you had a passion in photography, you yeah. loved music. I'm guessing that as a chef, you were kind of turfed out fairly late at night and music venues is a easy, you know, kind of next thing to do with the evening. So it was not done thinking, hey, maybe I could make a career out of this. It was Absolutely purely, not. No, no, far okay. from it. I mean, uh, I was doing it for myself mainly. Well, no, not mainly. Totally for myself. I think I probably wanted to show off uh, good photos. That had to come quite some time later because I just wasn't very good at it. Right. Uh, and through a process of trial and error, I realized that I had to shoot the camera manually, work out the lighting manually because the camera will never be able to pick up the lighting because there's so much lighting behind the artist. Mm. And after about four months, I developed what can only be described as an acceptable amount of uh, skill at it. And then luckily for me, again, no one, pure luck, no one looked at them apart from me. And then after about six months, I got a, a relatively level of, of uh, expertise at it. And coincidentally, at that point, having seen me at the front every night, Vince Lovegrove mm. managed the uh, Divinals, literally just came up to me and said, oh, what have you got I've there, seen you there every night. Can we look at them? Yeah. I sort of ignored him because I didn't particularly want him to see them because I thought he's going to stop me. Um, wasn't paranoid, but I just didn't really have a motive. Anyway, because uh, I was going every Monday night, eventually I had to show him. I showed him a, a proof sheet, and I was astounded that he bought one. Right. And it was used as a tour post. I think I got paid twenty bucks, um, which was huge bonus. Uh, and then he asked me to do. He asked me to do a couple, shoot them live at another venue, uh, and he'd pay me 50 bucks or something like that. And it was like, wow, this is fantastic. And, and he put my name on the door. Right. So I didn't have to pay to get in. And suddenly you're on a salary. Was, I think that was the biggest thrill, that all of a sudden I didn't have to pay. Yeah. And then the support band sort of obviously seen the poster, and Vince has said, this guy took these photos. And the support they band. They wanted another go. They said, oh, can you do our photos? I never negotiated a price, and the fact they paid me was all a bonus. And that went on for about a year. All right, let me just stop you. Let me stop sorry. you right there. That's all right. Let me stop you there. So, 
Fantastic story. So what we know from a number, you know, variety of businesses, not not necessarily in creative fields at all, is that accidental is, is a way a lot of them start. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you can then kind of hopefully retrofit some sort of plan or strategy that actually turns it into a viable business, you know, which you did. And we might, we'll, might come on to that, whether you did it knowingly or not. I should point out at that point, it still wasn't a business. No, okay. It wasn't it a business. It time for at least... Three or four years after that, at that point, we got to there. Okay. But so if you were talking, if someone bumped into you in the street today, as I'm sure they do, some new sort of young wannabe rock and roll photographer, would you say to them, look, mate, just do this? Would you suggest the same path? Well, well, well the world has changed quite radically from mm. the time I started. So uh, that, that's changed. But also, uh, in the early days, I, I suppose... Uh, that story I was just telling was, was between 1982 and 1984. The time frame is a bit loose because I can never remember. A bit hazy. Uh, but by the late 80s, I was well known in the inner city for taking live shots and a few session shots. Mm. By around 90 to 92, so I suppose eight years later, I'd established myself. I was doing album covers. I was working for every band. I was shooting anything that moved, and I was running a business my motive was to pay rent and have enough to live on. It was not a long-term, my God, I could actually make a career out of this. No, okay. I wanted to go as far as I could for as long as I could, always presuming this is not going to go on forever. As it happened, it did. I got so many lucky breaks. But the one thing when I did get established, and people did ask me by the mid-90s, I want to do this, the first people that sort of asked me, I, I do remember it, this young girl who was quite good at what she was doing couldn't believe that I just shot the Smashing Pumpkins at the Entertainment Center, and she wanted to shoot it. Right. She never had a photograph published. And I said, well, you know, when I started, I was doing bands at the Chevron, the Hopetown, the Annandale, the Sydney Trade Union Club, small gigs with bands without record, deal, without record deals. And I was working in the inner city in a, not an underground movement, but they certainly weren't mainstream. My mainstream sure. success came much later. She seemed to want to just make this huge leap from not shooting anybody to I want to do the Smashing Pumpkins. Everyone wanted to do Fleetwood Mac at the Entertainment Center, um, Nirvana at the Big Day. They didn't seem to want to do the donkey work at the okay. beginning. So how um, important is the donkey word today, accepting that... Huge, the, yeah. Hugely important. Just okay. it, I mean, it's the old cliche about paying your dues. It's not paying your dues. That, that network that I, that I uh, was involved in in the late 80s, I shot Tex Perkins when his name was Greg Perkins, and he was in JFK and the Cuban Crisis, Tex Deadly and the Dum Dums, uh, and I shot a lot of his, and Thug, I shot a lot of his bands and lots of other people like that. And then five years later, I mean, obviously he knew me really well, and we got on, and I took great photos of him and stuff. By the time he got into a mainstream band like Cruel Sea that was successful, I wasn't a stranger. No, uh, okay. you know, and there would be a photographer in America who may have shot the Smashing Pumpkins when no one had heard of him. He's got one up on me, to try and shoot Smashing Pumpkins sure. he's established. So it's establishing, and there's a huge network of people, a network of music journalists, record company people, and bands and band members who are in that lower, you know, the inner city sounds that were going on. And as they develop and you develop, you they, all come they know you. Yeah, okay. That's so look, the, the, a couple of points. So your uh, kind of lessons in there, I think, for all of us, regardless of what industry you are in, is that you – you were very prepared to start where you needed to start. You were very consistent. You just kept turning up. So after a while, presumably, 
Yeah, you you become that guy with the camera after at, at, at a number of locations. You're Actually, the guy with the camera. I was the only one. Okay. Uh, there was plenty. There was a, when I started in the late '80s. I can remember who they were. There was Tom Tackus, uh, Ian Green, uh, Wendy McDougall, Francine McDougall. Uh, I, I'd hate to think I missed a few people out, but they were Adrian Overall's another one. And um, I was definitely not number one. Okay. Uh, far from it. But you were uh, there. You were in the game. I was and there. You were, and yeah, I, okay. I certainly wasn't going to go away. Um, there was a lot of other names I could name. Well, I can't because I can't remember the names. Right. But a lot of them moved on. They used it as a stepping stone to go into fashion or to sure. other forms of photography. Um, I never had an ambition to go to another. I, I was absolutely loving it, passionately, what I was doing. So I, I, on quite a few occasions, I got offered fashion and uh, other types of photography. I Didn't wasn't interested. No, okay. I, was, I was totally, um, completely engrossed, drowning in music. I loved it. I didn't want to get out. No. And what state your eardrums in out of interest? I wore earplugs very early on. Oh, good man. Very early on. Right. I, um, to, to this day, uh, if I was going to the entertainment centre for pleasure to see Cold Chisel tonight, I'd be wearing earplugs, mainly because the bottom end disappears right. and it sounds better. <laughs> okay. Um, it literally sounds better. Um, I suppose I, I talked with MC Hammer, where mm. their sound guy, the bottom end is so loud, the concrete shakes. Uh, and I just hated it. I just hated the sound. Um, mm. So I, I've always been an earplugs person anyway. So um, that, that's, I've never mm. knocked, I haven't, done a, I haven't seen a gig for 20 years without earplugs. So my, my hearing's relatively good. I wouldn't say it's great, right, but it's okay. relatively good. I certainly ain't going down the Brian Johnston. Right. <laughs> well, you can hear me, okay? So that's good. So look, um, let's. I'm going to move on there. I may, I may be wrong, but I remember hearing a story. I think it was the Rolling Stones when they came back to Sydney, having had you as their, whether it's I'm not sure whether the terminology is right, as a like their official photographer on a previous tour, and then for whatever reason they came back and you weren't kind of selected as the photographer, but you just simply didn't accept that. Have I got the right band? Yeah, more or less. Yeah. So, and what, so just tell us, if you could, it's, it's, how, it's, what did you do about that? And how did you, how well, did you get the gig? About it. Um, the first time was not actually the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger toured here solo in the mid-'80s. And I toured with him, got on with him, and his manager's Tony King. Because the Rolling Stones don't have manager. Okay. Each individual band member has a manager. So I was hired by Tony King, who was Mick Jagger's manager. Um, the second Stones, uh, ooh, pardon me, I then toured with him in Europe. Uh, via Tony King again. So I, that's twice I've worked with Mick Jagger in the Sense. And they were coming on their first tour in Australia for about 30 years. Uh, I think it's 95. Mm. Uh, and not that I had a presumption, but I thought I was pretty well thought, set up. Yeah, you thought it was in the bag. That I'd be the tour photographer. I didn't get the call. It didn't look like I was getting the tour. And I, obviously I'm upset the whole bit. Um, what did I, I'd contacted Tony King a couple of times. Remember, ninety-five email is relatively new. Yep. Um, so it was mainly faxes, I think. And uh, by the time they got to Australia, um, I, I, I was sort of like, um, I think I hounded his hotel, left messages and the whole bit, and then uh, he he rang me back or emailed, uh, faxed me back, and just said. Uh, Come to the press conference and shoot the press conference. And the press conference was down at the uh, down at the some hotel in the Rocks. And I went down there thinking, oh well, I'm going to get to shoot the press conference, but I'm, I, they're obviously not hiring me. And I went there, and Tony King was there, and he said, um, 
yeah, come to the hotel on Tuesday. You start on Tuesday afternoon. I was like, oh, I've like got the gig. I'm like, I'm the tour. He goes, you always were. I went, oh, <laughs> you hadn't heard. He went, no, that's all right. You were always, I never even considered anybody else. And, of course, Tony King's a very, very busy man. So I scored the 95 tour. <clears throat> so, that's the, so that's now Mick Jagger and two Stones tours I've done. Okay. The next time they came, they didn't hire me. Um, and Ronnie Wood's son was the tour photographer. Oh, okay. So I, I was never going to beat that. No. Uh, but very kindly, Tony King rang up and said, uh, look, you don't want to shoot um, a stadium show because you've done it. You know, you've done 20 you've done with the us. intimate shows. And he said, come to the Enmore and you can shoot the Enmore, oh. which was, fan- was fantastic. So I got a, an accessible areas and a photo pass to shoot the Enmore. So they sort of looked after me and they've always given me either tickets ever since. I've always got tickets and I've been to a couple of parties since. Uh, but I've not been hired since. Uh, but the world's changed. Of course. Photographers very rarely tour with bands anymore. Uh, the digital age has, has, has changed everything. Um, okay. So, yeah, um, I just... Your original question about what did I do about it? Well, you, you were... Pers- Every possible source I could. Yeah. Uh, I rang up John O'Donnell at EMI. But getting to the Rolling Stones is not easy. I mean... I'm sure. I've got a better in with them than most people at the record company. So I'd more or less exhausted every avenue. Um, well, look, but- I think there's some key learnings in there. And again, you know, what, I'm, what I do, like to do is just trying to think of other people listening that, that as they say, possibly will never want to be or will be a, a rock and roll photographer. But we can learn so much from what you did there. You were persistent. You didn't let it go. You sound like a, you know, a dog with a bone. Yeah, yeah no, kept, I totally was. I kept was. Talking but to there's the also guy. that line of not harassing someone enough yes. that you become a complete pain in the ass. Mm. I think on that particular occasion, had that been in the days of mobile phones and emails, I would have been probably over the line as a pain in the ass. Yeah, so what would you do now then? You know, you're, 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 the last few years, you've still been active since email and mobile phones. So well, what's your strategy now? Or is it? do you just not need to because they, they know you? Yeah, well, to a certain extent, yeah, as time has gone on, you're sort of relatively well-known. I've got books out. I've got a website which shows what I can do. Yeah. So that, um, but what about know, someone new? What about someone today? Yeah, it's the same thing because there's someone new. You've got to remember it's not the artist that's hiring you. It's always either someone from a record company or more, more than likely the management. Mm. Rihanna's management uh, hired me a couple of tours back, which was a bit out of the blue, and someone had recommended me. And I think Sarah McLaughlin's management I did some stuff with Sarah uh, uh, McLaughlin, and I got—I think I got hired, which I often get hired. It's not my ability as a photographer. Not that I'm saying I'm not a good photographer, but sure. I'm not the best by, right. by a, a long stretch of the imagination. But I do get on with them, and right. I know about that line about harassment. Like, you can't just go in there and just keep taking photos no. every ten seconds. Uh, yes. This is not live. This is about sessions and stuff. Sure. So Rihanna hired, and the manager did say, yeah, "You haven't done a lot of that type of artist," but ultimately. Uh, it's all the same from that point of view. As in, you know, photography of uh, Marilyn Manson is the same as the photography of Sarah McLaughlin. Mm. There's someone on stage and you're capturing the magic of their show. The Got fact you. that the magic looks different is not the point. Not, you're no. just capturing atmosphere, trying to collect, trying to make them look, uh, look great. Capture, it, it sounds a bit wanky, but capturing the soul and the essence of the artist. Irrelevant, obviously Marilyn Manson's a doddle because yeah. it's so dramatic, it's easy. Sarah McLaughlin, Lucinda Williams, Sheryl Crow, uh, Paul Kelly. Not work a bit sweet because they're not huge performers, as in there's no drama. So you're capturing, 
I, I go back to that soul essence. Yeah. So you're looking for something uh, to it. Um, Paul Kelly was my nemesis for a long time. Right. Uh, I never felt I'd ever got what I call a great photo. And I actually published that in a book and Paul read it <laughs> and then insisted I did the next photo session. Basically, <laughs> Another good strategy. Normally, Paul, after 45 minutes, has had enough. Right. But on this particular occasion, he said, we're not stopping until you get that great photo. Right. I never the did get the great photo, but I got plenty of good ones. Yeah. But, and, and I felt really bad that Paul had taken it so, <laughs> so to heart. Well, look, there's another point then that's, that's sort of buried in there, is you say that the decision makers with those sort of gigs are not the band, but they're the, you know, the people around them, the management. But then it's once, just a combination. Yes. But then once you're there and you're doing your shots and whether and you're spending time, then obviously it is your personality because it must be so easy for, you know, some rock and roll celebrity to go, just get rid of that guy, he's bugging me. So you've clearly got the person and, that, and that's very important, yeah. And, yeah. That, and that has to be remembered. I mean, when you go backstage and meet Elton John and you're doing photos, you do not need to... You've got to remember also, just before showtime, for a lot of artists, is a very, very sensitive. They're either building up or whatever. I mean, there's, everyone's different, so mm. you have to always judge it. But uh, you wouldn't go near... Hen, hen, you wouldn't take a photograph of Henry Rollins uh, 45 minutes before showtime, just purely because he's psyching himself up. Yeah, okay. And some dickhead coming up to him and saying, can I get a quick photo? It's He's, not going to work. So gonna, let me just dig on another point there. So you mentioned uh, parties. You know, sometimes you're saying your your early sort of career payment, free tickets and parties. That was you know that was kind of ticking the box for you. That was fine. So, but then as you move on and you're getting close to celebrities, you're going to parties and there's all sorts of things go on at rock and roll parties, alcohol and drugs and all of everything. How important was it for you to maintain? your clear kind of Tony Mott personality because it, it must have been tempting just to kind of go with the flow, wasn't it? How, how did you cope with that? Uh, well, it truly didn't cope with it. I just enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> from a photography point of view, the parties are sort of semi-off limits. Yeah, okay. um, so I think it'd be fair away. to say I've never, ever taken a photo that the artist wasn't aware I was taking a photo. So uh, an example would be I went to the U2s end of world tour party for Zoo TV. Yep. And uh, I was their photographer. I was working for you too. And um, uh, David Bowie was in the room. There was a lot of famous people in the room. But I, I never just took photos. I'd go over to David Bowie and say, um, excuse me, sorry, I know you're talking to Larry Weber. Can I have a quick photo? 90 times, if, we, if you did, I think a lot of people get upset. If you just go click, 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 flash, 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 yep. they get, you know, that, that can irritate people. Mm. So I'd always ask, um, strangely, that... Uh, if you want a little sh silly story from that particular day, is Michael Hutchins came up to me at that party and said, Tone, uh, are you taking photos tonight? I said, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the tour photographer and they want party photos. He went, ah, do you mind if I'm not photographed tonight? I went, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. He said, yeah, I just prefer not to. And I noticed he was sitting with Kylie Minogue. Right. I thought, and I thought, gee, that's a funny combination. What the fuck would he be talking to Kylie <laughs> That's just a bit weird. And I also thought, that's a bit weird. Cut him out. Because, like, it was very rock. Mm. Uh, you know, like, Michael Hutchinson was there, the band members of the Models, Debbie Bowie, he was living in town doing Tim Machine at the time, so he was there. Um, obviously, all of you too, BB King. It was very rock and roll. Yeah, it sounds like it. And was sort of stuck out. And I remember thinking at the time, that's peculiar. And I thought, how nice of Michael to, like, come over to, and say that. She doesn't really know. Uh, within about two months, I realized they were an item. But at that oh. point, I didn't know. And I would have been the first photographer to have shot them together. But at the same time, I don't, 
absolutely don't regret it at all because I've, I've, I've never agreed with paparazzi. And I think um, the fact that, that uh, unlike, for instance, uh, not the U2 uh, party because U2 are quite tame, but I have seen drugs uh, part uh, participation uh, and I've seen weirder and wonderful things. I'm sure you have. Parties. And the band don't need a photographer taking photographs of it to, no. to whatever you want to do with it. So I never have, but I have shot parties. But like I said, everyone's always been aware hmm. that I'm taking photos. But so, I guess also the point there is that it's so um, it's so important, uh, particularly obviously for you in, in the very unique business that you've been in. But it's important for all of us to remember that even when we're kind of off guard, we are we still are you know we are the same people. Particularly those of us that run our our own kind of solo businesses. And I often think, you know, if I'm in the local shopping mall and I'm berating my son in front of a whole lot of people because he's done something ridiculous, you know, I need to be aware of that because it's, we need to be, if we're going, if, our, if we are, are our businesses, then I think it's important that wherever we go, whatever we do, we're still honour who we are and are in, authentic to what we're trying to do. do you, I think that's kind of what you said, but you said yeah, it yeah. I mean, more it's interestingly. Just, it, 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 yeah, it's just, um, I suppose, integrity and just, I, 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 I don't agree with paparazzi. I, yeah, I just okay. flatly just don't agree with it. I think if someone doesn't want to be photographed, I mean, I, I'm quite, I quite agree with Rupert Murdoch being photographed with Tony Blair because it's political and the fact they're meeting is important. Yeah. But, um, uh, yes. Freddie Mercury uh, holding a pair of tits of a famous celebrity at a party. He doesn't want that photographed, and no. I'm his, I'm more or less in his employee. So uh, you know, on the other hand, I'd have no problem going up to him on the dance floor and saying, "Freddie, quick photo." Could I? Yes. Uh, uh, as it asking happens, asking permission. Yeah, asking permission. As it yeah. happens, I was consuming rather than um, photographing yes. a particular party. But <laughs> okay, um, let me ask you again. Now let's let's look at. Um, I want to move us on to the business today. Now, clearly, the business has changed massively, and you've already talked about that. You know, we live in an age where, to some degree, everyone's a photographer and everybody's got a, a camera in their pocket. Um, the music papers, you know, there aren't so many of them. They're, they're not existing music venues aren't existing in the same way. But we have all this massive kind of plethora of blogs, places where we can publish our work. How, if you were talking, mentoring somebody who's thinking about moving into this world of photography, what do you, what's the outlook from your point of view? What do you think? Well, I, I, I think as a mentor now, I, I was an expert 10 years ago, mm. and now I wouldn't put myself in that category. Uh, I'd say, well, I'd still be encouraging, and I'd, I'd explain my love of photography and... Uh, how now I, I love all forms of photography as in travel photography which I do a bit of um, and the passion is number one like yeah. you've got to enjoy it if you don't enjoy it don't bother mm. uh, but the outlets I used to have have all nearly all gone uh, and, and I, I would say and I, I try never to be negative but it would be very difficult to see how someone could do what I did now because the media's everything that I I use to make photo to to make a living out of rock and roll has changed. Um, mm. My example of that is uh, when I toured. I toured with the Big Day Out for twenty four years, and in the year two thousand, which was my biggest boom year of the Big Day Out, I sold very close to two thousand photos from that Big Day Out to over one hundred and ninety magazines, music magazines around the world. Wow! 
Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers were very kind to me and gave me an exclusive photo session. I sold that one 42 times. Uh, $100 here, $100 there, da 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 um, I had 194 music magazines on my books. Again, this is in the days of email. Yeah. So when I shot a shot of Dave Grohl and Anthony Kadeas together, I did a portrait of them backstage in Melbourne. I had a little studio set up. I sent that out to 193 magazines to see who would buy. Uh, I ended up getting a front cover of Kerrang! in London. Mm. And, and as I said, it sold about 40-odd times. Now we move the clock forward. I can't remember the exact year, but around 2011, 2012, Red Hot Chili Peppers headlined the big day out again. I was the only photographer within three months before the big day out or afterwards to get a session with Red Hot Chili Peppers. I did a quick session with them somewhere. I can't remember where. Right. Um, I couldn't give it away. Wow. Uh, literally, and of those 193 magazines, over 160 of them literally didn't exist. So Gosh. all my outlets had disappeared. Um, what, what happened to me in life at that particular time was I had twins yes. uh, five years ago. And so I took two years off work. I really didn't do much at all for two years. I just looked after the twins for two years. But then when I came back and thought, I better start the business back up again. And I should have pointed out I've had loads of breaks over those 30 years where I've gone off wandering for three, five months, never had a problem picking the business back up. Right. This particular occasion, it had just gone. And I hadn't been replaced. It wasn't like there was some young kid taking all my work. The business had just gone. Mm. Uh, Nadia Basel, I can't pronounce the same name, but Nadia right. from Universal Records, uh, she hired me to do something sometime last year and kept apologizing that she hadn't hired me for so long. She used to have a budget for photography where she'd do ah, 200, 250 photo sessions a year. She does five now. My goodness. So Universal Records don't do the photo sessions they used to do. Uh, there's no drum media, there's no on the streets, so street press have gone, uh, juice has gone. Uh, America hasn't got a single hard copy music magazine left, not a single one, uh, unless you count Rolling Stone, which is hardly what you call musical. I mean, over 50% of their covers are either social, political, actors, and they're certainly not musicians. Mm. So America literally doesn't have hard copy music magazines left anymore. Wow. Uh, Europe's survived a few. So that's gone. Uh, record companies, uh, I used to make a lot of money of bread and butter, what I used to call bread and butter money, where backstage they do meet and greets. And I'd mm. take all the photos and they'd buy 200 black and white prints. Now they just get a girl with an iPhone to go click, click, click. And I'm not knocking it because the iPhone does yeah. exactly. They were happy snaps in the first place. Um, so that's disappeared. Uh, record companies, more than once, they've offered me CDs rather than payment. Because record companies have died. When I started, mm. there was 12 majors and eight minimum healthy independent labels. There's now basically the big four labels, and that will go down to two in, in, in the next five years. So it's just a very, very – and the live scene is completely different. Uh, mm. The live scene is – I wouldn't call it non-existent, but it's, it's, it's what, 5% of what it was 20 years ago? So the whole scene has changed. So from a photography point of view and running a business, the bands are still out there uh, and they will want photos, but, but the lowing, lowering of photography has gone down, as in uh, the skill level is, is a lot less, therefore you get paid a lot less because there's more people doing it. Hmm. So the whole thing's changed. So for me to advise someone brand new, I'm not quite sure I'm even qualified. <laughs> uh, and my other problem is... Uh, 
I, I don't, I literally just don't, I'm ignorant of the new, the social media and the blogs and all that. Yeah, I mean, I just did the Apple Awards, yeah. and I could probably get 20 photos, 200 photos all over the place, blogs and stuff. Being paid for it, yeah, not so much. Mm. Um, that, that's not going to happen. But look, um, so, okay, so accepting then, uh, I'll take your point there, that there's, the, it, the world has changed dramatically, and that you're not, um, you're not in the space of, of where a lot of uh, photography is going these days, and, that, and you're okay with that, quite clearly. But what you have done is you've, you know, you say a couple of years ago that, you know, you, you pushed that photo around and very few people bought it, but it's not like you've stood still. I've just been to this astonishing exhibition. I'm presuming that you've done a little bit of work to get that to happen. You've published a book that's got to be the best sort of collection of rock and roll photography that I've ever seen. So how, you know, what do you see? Well, What's the future for Tony Mott? What are you going to do that, now? That's, that's me moving on. Uh, yeah, okay. Ultimately, um, uh, I, as much as, because again, as I say, I hate to be negative. Um, ultimately, everything I've just said is real. Yeah. But at the same time, what I've done is, is okay, so now what am I going to do? Yeah. So I just invent my own work. Um, the, what, the good thing about being self-employed is, is freelance or whatever it is, is you're in charge. Hmm. So you just do things. You just, uh, I mean, I, I constantly find ways of doing photography. Um, I, I, I've been working for a, a Chinese company out of Singapore and been doing, they sent me to Burma and I did a, a travel spread for a, uh, in a couple of uh, Chinese magazines. I'm, I'm doing stills on TV and movies at the moment. Uh, and then the main reason the exhibition happened was um, I just felt I wanted to bookend my career yeah, okay. with this massive thing. But the main purpose of that was to show people what Sydney had. I, I think it's really important. And, mm. and the library was desperate to archive that this was Sydney's art scene musically in this period of time. Mm. And tell me, and is that tour going to travel? Surely it's not yeah, just... Yes, it's, it's about to go... It's about to open up in Lismore in about two months' time and okay. there's eight galleries taking it Fantastic. and it'll keep going round and round and round. Right, and, um, and round around the entire country and hopefully even beyond. Uh, let's talk about going into Moscow. <laughs> right, of course. Um, long story. Uh, yeah. And it's going to Canberra, and it'll go to Melbourne eventually. Queensland. Yeah, it's going to travel, and it will have uh, momentum. Right. Um, okay, so what you're saying there again is you're rejoicing in the sort of agility that we have as as soloists or freelancers, and you're clearly not resting on your laurels. And whilst, yes, you, you might paint a, uh, a an accurate, if slightly bleak, picture of rock and roll photography right here right now but you're saying okay i need to move i need to shift i need to do something different yeah yeah i've moved on from that point of view yeah. um, there's, there's a there's a lad called kane hibbard and i don't want to sound patronizing calling him a lad because he's probably in his 30s now right. uh, he's a melbourne uh, rock and roll photographer and he's doing really really well he's, he's got his own look his own image and he's got a little uh, um what's the word um it, the metal hard rock bands love him and he's doing mm. heaps of work so real them. niche yeah, and 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 uh, he did some great stuff for Birds of Tokyo, um, and then there's a uh, what's her name, a uh, Sabel Malawinski, and I, I probably pronounced her surname incorrectly, which I do apologise for. Unbelievably talented photographer. She's getting a fair amount of work to doing portrait stuff for record companies, and her stuff's really good. Daniel Bode, who uh, more or less is doing what I did, and he does it for time off, and okay. he's doing seems to be so. There is ways of doing it, 
it's just you limited. Just gotta, yeah, okay. And, and you just got to really think about it. And Kane would be so much better qualified to answer that question than I am. Yeah. Because they're of this generation. Yeah, okay. To get it. Uh, they just get it. And I, I know Kane is very, when uh, he toured with, he was doing stuff with Soundwave, and he had uh, a, a network of blogs and things that he was getting stuff out to. So he, was, he works differently. And, and he not only survived, he's thriving, and he's very, very good. So there is my negative, get rid of that now, and think of the positive. Those two guys. There are options. Are the two positives who've done really well, and their template would be so much better than mine is. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. Well, look, I'm, not attempt, I'm not attempting to survive. I've got to a point where I'm very comfortable and happy what I do, and I still work in the music industry. Still do plenty of music stuff. I did mm. the awards, app awards, and stuff. But um, for someone, the question about uh, someone starting, yeah, it's um, those people would be the templates. I if, I if I was like 19 years old now and wanting to do that. I'd be looking at them, not me. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, look, that's... Bring it far. Okay. <laughs> but I still think that even... Uh, I'm hoping that even those people, I'm sure those people will have, uh, if, if, you know, if, if they planned their own kind of careers, have, would look at some of the lessons that they can learn from you, your resilience, oh, you're I just turning pay, up, I you're doing it, you're being consistent, you're... I gave you know, all of those things. advice in the yeah. early days and told him what he was doing wrong... Uh, with Soundwave because he saw right. he, he saw what I did with the Big Day Out and he wanted to do the same and eventually uh, he was going down the wrong path uh, financially right, and okay. he couldn't work out what he was doing with the promoters and I just said to him the promoters don't care they, they are trying to promote their festival uh, so don't try and get I said if they cover your arse as in expenses but then you have to give them something hmm. as in they want to see spreads here and there I, I can but I gave him advice, and he used that template and was very successful with Soundwave. So he asked me lots of advice, and I'm, I'd like to think that I gave him advice that worked. Um, and, and I mentored a girl called Penny Lane, uh, a young girl. Mm. And mentoring's quite peculiar in so much as I saw her portfolio, and she was already a better photographer than I was. What she didn't have skills was how to get herself out there. And one of the advices I gave her was, to impress me is easy because I can see you're a really good photographer, but I'm never going to employ you. Mm. You need to impress the people that employ photographers. And one of my, uh, slight exaggeration, but one of my speeches about it is I said, the greatest problem you're going to come across is you're going to deal with lots of wankers. Oh. And said, the trouble with wankers is they don't like to be called a wanker. So you need to know how to deal with these people because they pay your checks. And I said, I've been in meetings at record companies when my ideas have been pinched, where some guy has gone, no, 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 I go, wait a minute, that's my that's idea. That's what now, I just said, yeah. If I, if I confront him, humiliate him, which I could easily have done in front of a meeting, Not a good but look. he's the guy employing me. Hmm. So it's a gentle edge. And the reality is I learned very quickly that wankers, are the people that count, people know they're wankers. Yeah. And uh, I won't name the artist. But and you don't need to point it out. Yeah, you don't need to put it out because the artist in question came up to me and said, but that was your idea, wasn't it? I went, yeah. And she went, aren't you pissed off? I said, totally pissed off. She goes, we all know. Mm. So it's like, it's no point. But yeah. to confront that guy is, nothing would be said, but I might not get the next key. Yeah. So you're dealing with those people. But you're selling yourself as a photographer, but not to other photographers. Photographers always recognize other photographers. They look at their work. They might not like it, or they yeah. do like it, but they're easy. But the people who employ people, on photographers, that's the people you're trying to, she didn't have a business uh, sense from that point of view, Sophie Howarth 
uh, who's a great photographer, suffered from the same thing. Was she wasn't good at dealing with people, as right. in business and stuff. So there is heaps of other aspects of photography, not just taking the actual photograph. Sure, and it's not just photography. This applies across so many no. industries. Yeah, right. absolutely. Because you, you know you, the actual skill is only a percentage of how to be uh, uh, to be successful. Yeah. Most of my success has not come from the actual photography. It's also uh, the personable side of dealing with people, getting on with people. And also, you're also, it's very important to get other people's wavelength. Mm. So when Casey Chambers comes around to my house to do some photos, I have to listen to her and interpret it what she's after. And yeah. I have to get it right because I'm trying to please her. So your skill is not actually taking the photo because if I take a photo of Casey and it's pleasing me, that's all well and good and that's great. Mm. I've also got to please her. So when she's saying, I'm looking for this really moody shot, or whatever, you have to interpret that and get it right and you have to please her. Um, as in, so that's another thing that you have, to, you have to work all that out. A contradiction, slight because I'm always contradicting myself. <laughs> the other advice I always give photographers is believe in yourself. Uh, develop your style of photography that you love. So when you produce your photo and love it, you love it. The negative of that is someone will look at that and not like that style, and that's mm. fine because you have to just uh, art is subjective, and two people can look at the same photo, and one person can go, "Jesus, that's absolutely brilliant," and the next person can go, "Shit, that's shit." Mm. They're both right because it's just their opinion, yep. and you will never please everybody. That's just that's just the way it is. Well, look, um, that's a great. I'm going to wind us up at that point, Tony, because it's uh, those oh, those are gems uh, to end on, and I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic that, uh, as you say, you've done a you've done a nice kind of uh, a full photo shoot in this interview where you've you know started us at the beginning. You've been through the enjoyable middle bit. You've got through the clunky, slightly messy, negative bit, and then at the end of it, you've rounded off with um, you know a gorgeous set of prints. So I think it's been a a beautiful uh, talk with us. So thank you so much. Let me just say to, to well, people listening, we can go to Tony Mott. That's M-O-T-T, TonyMott.com. You'll see so many examples of Tony's work. You'll see the cover shots he's done. You'll see his wonderful book, uh, all three kilograms of it on the front cover. So Tony, I really, really appreciate your time. I must just tell you that I think the first band I ever saw were Mott the Hoople. Good uh, yes, and I didn't even know who they were, but all I knew was it was a live music venue with a lot of people, and and they were selling mild at the back of the room. Um, so I went, and uh, I think Mott the Hooper were first, followed by Soft Machine and Van de Graaff Generator. I think so, probably all <laughs> names that you'll be well aware of. But look, it's been great having you here once again. Let me just tell you, support for this podcast comes from Sendal, the door-to-door parcel delivery service that's cheaper than the post office. Head to sendal.com forward slash flying solo to get free sandal premium worth 120 dollars a year and you'll get an extra dollar off every parcel you send tony mott thank you so much for being our guest pleasure pleasure thanks very much talk to you again and that's where we'll leave this show from flying solo and your host robert gerrish we'd love to receive feedback even a brief review for those listening via itunes if you're planning to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, check out our bestseller, Flying Solo, How to Go It Alone in Business. It includes everything we know about working on your own. And of course, we invite you to dive into the resources and supportive community at flyingsolo.com.au. 